The following audio presentation is from Parkwood Baptist Church. The purpose of Parkwood Baptist Church is to glorify God by laboring together for the growth of all believers while going with the gospel to all peoples. More information about Parkwood Baptist Church is available at parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org. I'll be finding my place in Luke chapter 23, beginning with verse 26 in just a moment. If you don't have a copy of the Bible with you, we'd invite you to follow along. Uh, There's a Bible under a chair close by you. Uh, We're on page 884. If you turn in that copy of the scripture, you'll find your place with us in Luke chapter 23. Last week, our topic was the gospel anticipated. We looked at this passage in Luke 18. And taking the 12, he said to them, see, we're going to Jerusalem and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will arise. This morning, we come now to see the gospel displayed, to look closely at the text of scripture that explains what Christ did in detail and the events surrounding the cross and the resurrection. Would you pray with me as we begin? Father, we come before you and we confess that Jesus is Lord. We confess that he has risen from the dead And we confess that we can know and proclaim this truth because you have revealed it to us in your holy word. So now as we take up the word of God, will you humble our hearts and sharpen our minds that we would both hear and see the truth of the gospel. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. I simply want us to focus our hearts and minds on this idea that Jesus Christ publicly gave himself for our sins and bodily rose from the grave. We'll look at what happened on Easter. With minimal explanation, I wanna walk through Luke chapter 23, beginning in verse 26, and look at the historical realities that Luke has recorded for us. As we do so, we will begin to understand that the Bible not only proclaims historical realities, it also reveals spiritual truth. So as a result, we will not only look at what happened, but as we come to a conclusion this morning, we'll ask the question, why? Why did Jesus publicly give himself on the cross? Why did Jesus bodily rise from the grave? Let's first look at Jesus Christ publicly gave himself for our sins on the cross. As we look through this narrative, we'll see first the crowds, Luke 23, 26. And they led him away. They seized one, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country and laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. And there followed him a great multitude of people and of women who were mourning and lamenting for him. But turning to them, Jesus said, daughters of Jerusalem, 
Do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, fall on us and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? As we look at the crowds of people, as Jesus is making his way, is what is called the Via Della Rosa, the way of the cross. We see Simon being commanded to take up the cross of Jesus and carry it. This has been a theme throughout Luke's gospel. When Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. And here in this text, we literally see Simon taking up the cross and literally following after Jesus. Behind them is a great multitude. This multitude, according to verse 23, had demanded urgently that Jesus be crucified. Along with them are women, women who are mourning and lamenting for Christ. It's very interesting as you study the four gospels, you will notice that there is no mention of a woman ever being hostile toward Christ. And you find this group of women in the midst of the hostile crowd lamenting over Jesus. Now you would think this, you would think Jesus would turn to these women and say, it's all about to be okay. That's not what he says. He says, daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves. Why did he say that? You see, just as Jesus knew what was going to happen with him at the cross and through the resurrection, he knew what was coming as judgment for Jerusalem having turned on the Messiah. In just a few short years at 8070, Rome would sack Jerusalem and destroy it and destroy the temple. It was a bitter time for the Jewish people and Jesus here prophesied that day was coming. As we move from this moment we see the crucifixion of Jesus. As he is publicly placed on a cross, verse 32, two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments and the people stood by watching, but the ruler scoffed at him saying, he saved others, let him save himself. If he is the Christ of God, his chosen one, the soldiers also mocked him coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, if you are the king of Jews, save yourself. And there was an inscription over him. This is the king of the Jews. They come to the skull in Aramaic, it means the word is Golgotha. Latin is translated Calvary. All means skull. There at this place, they crucified Jesus. Simple, straightforward explanation by Luke. If you look in the other gospels, very similar way it's stated that Christ is crucified. Crucifixion was a humiliating, torturous death. It was intended to strike fear and everyone who witnessed it to deter them from committing the same act. Quintilian, who was a first century Roman author writing about crucifixion said, quote, whenever we crucify the condemned, the most crowded roads are chosen where the most people can see and be moved by this terror. If you ever been to Jerusalem, Jerusalem is a gated city, walled in city. 
outside of one of the major gates, and there's some dispute exactly which one, just outside the gate by the road, Jesus was there crucified. And you don't need to imagine some lofty cross where you're looking way up to him. Jesus' feet elevated probably about a foot off the ground. When you came by, you would have been able to look into his face and to see the horror of what he did. It's fitting that the gospels do not focus on the details of crucifixion. They don't want us to see the details of the physical horror. They want us to see the spiritual horror that we'll see in just a moment. But let me just say to you, having spent more time this week just reflecting, studying, and researching Roman crucifixion, the way that Jesus died and the way that people treated him as they passed by was humiliating and horrific. It was awful. It is beyond anything in our society that we could imagine being done publicly to a human being. As Jesus is hanging there in agony, he prays for his executioners. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Jesus here out of love asked that his perpetrators be forgiven. In asking for their forgiveness, Jesus is making a pronouncement about them, that they're guilty, that they had done something that needed to be forgiven. And what is forgiven is sin, but forgiveness is not the same thing as reconciliation, which we'll see in just a moment. Just know this, that in Jesus offering this prayer, he's fulfilling Isaiah 53, which said, he bore the sin of man and made intercession for the transgressors. In verse 35, it says, the people stood by watching. The rulers scoffed at him saying, he saved others, let him save himself. If he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. Now the rulers, the religious rulers of Jerusalem had already come to the conclusion that they did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah. And here's what they're saying at this moment. This humiliating death on the cross is proof that he cannot save others. Messiah meant savior, that he cannot save. The soldiers mocked him. If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Here's what's ironic. As he's mocked by the religious leaders and the soldiers about can't save yourself, Jesus in not saving himself was saving us. By not taking himself off of the cross, he satisfies on our behalf what we deserved. There's a criminal on his right and his left. As they hung there, one of them said, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. This is a term of derision. It, it also could have been a, a, a plea out of heart. This man was dying. If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. The other rebuked him and said, do you not fear God? And this is not a, a coffee shop chat. These, these three people are gasping for every breath. And the one speaks to him in derision and the other rebukes him and said, don't you fear God? You're under the same sentence of condemnation and that's justified. 
You're, you're getting what you deserve, but this man's not done anything wrong. And then he turns to Jesus and he calls him by his first name. Christ, Messiah, those are, those are names describing the office and the work of Jesus. But his name, as he grew up in Nazareth, just like my name's Jeff, his name was Jesus. So, so this criminal doesn't turn and say, Messiah or Christ. He turns and calls him by his name. He says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now, unlike the other criminal who's asking to be saved in the moment, this man's asking for salvation that is forever. He realizes he's dying. Now, quite often, I've heard people refer to this the last hour of repentance, of waiting to the last hour to repent. I want you to hear this crucial thought. Quote, this account has nothing to do with putting off repentance until the last hour. This is this man's first encounter with Jesus, and he does not hesitate to make an appeal to Jesus after he's heard his gracious words of forgiveness. The barrier is broken down by forgiveness. He then confesses his sins and boldly asks for redemption. Jesus responds by offering to him reconciliation. Truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Do you hear what the son of God said? He doesn't just say you're gonna be in paradise. Today, you will be with me in paradise. That's reconciliation. Why can Jesus offer this? Because of the culmination that we see. It was now the sixth hour and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, until the sun's light faded, failed and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus calling out with a loud voice said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. You see, the darkness meant judgment, the judgment of God upon our sins. Jesus prayed in the garden, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. The cup that Jesus was referring to is the cup of the wrath of God. Thanks be unto God on the cross. In this hour, Jesus drank the full cup of the wrath of God on our behalf. He has now opened access to God for us. We know this because the curtain of the temple is torn in two. The system of the temple is now ended. Outsiders are now open through Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life, who said in John 14, 6, no one comes to the Father except through me. Then Jesus, after this darkness lifts, calls out in a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last the final prayer of Jesus, the final words of Jesus express total submission to the Father and complete peace as he dies. Now this brings a response of another unlikely character, the centurion. Verse 47, now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God. Do you see that? He praised God saying, certainly this man was innocent. The confession of the centurion reveals he saw something beyond the surface appearance of what was going on. You have to assume the prayer of Jesus for his executioners to be forgiven and the trust he had in God at the very last moment of his last breath broke through the callousness of this soldier. Now think about this man. He, he wasn't randomly chosen as a centurion. You had to perform a lot of 
incredible task to be a centurion in the Roman army. You had to be a battle-hardened warrior and you had to be a callous executioner. More than one time this man had carried out crucifixion. And here at this crucifixion, he says certainly this man was innocent. Mark records something else he said. Mark, in Mark 15, 39 says, he stood facing him when Jesus breathed his last and said, truly this man was the son of God. Before we leave the scene of the death of Jesus, I want you to look, see the crowds one more time. Verse 48, and the crowds that assembled for this spectacle when they saw what had taken place returned home beating their breasts. This bloodthirsty crowd who stood outside of Pilate's stairwell and said, crucify him. Give us Barabbas. Who followed him out to Golgotha and rejoiced as he was hung on the cross and mocked him. This same crowd, when this whole thing went down, left beating their breasts saying, what have we done? They understood something was desperately wrong here. They don't miss this at the end of Luke 23. Jesus was dead. Dead, dead, dead. The Son of God died. He was buried. Now we come to the first day of the week. Sunday morning. And we see that Jesus Christ bodily rose from the grave. A group of women that had been watching from afar off were the first ones to make their way to the tomb. On the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared. Now you gotta ask the question, what's the spices for? Well, to anoint the body of Jesus. Let's press it further. Why you gotta anoint the body of Jesus? Because they expected as soon as that stone was rolled away, the pungent odor of decomposing flesh was gonna overtake them. They saw he was a dead man. They saw him placed in the tomb and they expected to see his decomposing body that they were going to anoint and take care of at that moment. But the stones rolled away and they look in there and they did not find the body of Jesus. And they were perplexed. They're amazed. They're confused. Where is he? But there are two men. Two men in dazzling apparel. These are two angels. Verse five says, and they were frightened and bowed down. That's the women and bowed their faces to the ground. And the men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? And here's what I want you to see the angels do here. The angels mildly, you gotta be paying attention to see it. They mildly rebuke the women two times. The first one is this. Why are you seeking a living man among the dead? Don't you know what you're here for? <laughs> what are those spices for? The first rebuke comes because of what they say in the announcement where you find the second rebuke. It says, they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground. And the men said to them, why do you speak to the living and the dead? He is not here, but has risen. And here's the second rebuke. Remember how he told you? Here's what the angels are saying. Hey, 
Jesus has been telling you now for months, we're gonna go up to Jerusalem, I'm gonna be betrayed, I'm gonna be handed over to Gentiles, I'm gonna be beaten, I'm gonna be crucified, and, and on the third day, what? I'm gonna rise again. And the angels are going, you saw the rest of it. Why aren't you expecting the end? Don't you remember what he said to you? That the son of man must be delivered in the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. You see, the angels don't offer proof. They don't launch into an apologetics lesson. They simply proclaim the resurrection. He is not here. He is risen. So we, we today must do just as they did. We must receive this by faith. We must believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Yes, it's a historical fact. Without the historical fact, there's nothing to believe. But we don't just believe in Christ. We believe on Christ. We believe and trust in what Christ has accomplished. Now that leads me to my questions. Here's the application then. Why did Jesus die on the cross? Let's go to Romans chapter three. It's to your right. You're gonna go by John, Acts, Romans. Chapter three, verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now I know the American Bible says for some have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but you better hear what God has said. God has said for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Just above that, if you read verses nine through 18, you'll see that there is none righteous, no, not one, nobody. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. And let me just isolate a few things here that you must apply to your life to be saved. First, you must acknowledge that you are a sinner that your sin resulted in the cross of Christ, that Jesus hung on the cross for you, for me. Second, you must understand that Jesus did this by grace. That means you did nothing to make him move towards you. There's nothing that you've ever done to earn it. Let me say it this way. I don't mean any derision to you here. God's not more pleased with you because you're here today. You know how we know God's pleased with you? Through Jesus Christ and what he accomplished on the cross. Not anything you've done. It's grace. Third is the word justified, that you are justified by his grace as a gift. That means you're declared righteous. We'll come back to that word in a minute. Through the redemption. Later on, if you continue in Romans, he'll say that we were slaves to sin. We can all identify with this. 
Now we're, we're, we're good pasty Americans. We don't want to admit how really rotten we are, but we all understand the slavery to our sin. And here's what the Bible's teaching. Jesus bought you off the slave block. He paid the price for you. He has purchased you. That's what redemption means. He's bought the slaves for sin with the gift of himself, whom God put forward as a big word, propitiation. Now that's a $10 word that you've probably never used before. By the way, it's a Bible word. It's only found in scripture. Propitiation means this, a sacrifice that bears, God, bears God's wrath to the end and in so doing changes God's wrath toward us into favor. So Christ on the cross in those hours of darkness bore the wrath of God in our place. Being the propitiation for our sin means this, he bore all of it. Now it's not that God then became indifferent to us. Here's where Southern Christianity is all messed up and broken down and leaving the God of the Bible. God didn't save you so you can just go back and live your rotten life. God has saved you in that he, Christ has satisfied the wrath of God and that God has turned his wrath now to you as favor. In Christ, he is pleased with you. And those whom Christ has pleased, that affects how they live their lives. So why did Jesus die on the cross to be our redemption and our propitiation? Then why did Jesus rise from the grave then? Romans 4, 23. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It was counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses. He's already laid this down in Romans 3. And raised for our justification. So we believe in him who raised Jesus from the dead, our Lord who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. So what is justification? It is the gracious act of God. That means you didn't earn it or deserve it. The gracious act of God by which he declares a sinner righteous solely, only through faith in Jesus Christ. His resurrection is the proof of our justification that God declares sinners righteous when we by faith trust him. So let's flip it the other day, other way. Without the resurrection, there is no justification. Listen to me, friends. You don't just need to be forgiven. One of the, one of the misleading things that some of you are living with is that, oh, God forgave that. And all you gotta do is, you know, zap the Baptist remote control at Jesus. Just all I gotta do is confess my sin. He's faithful and just forgive me. I'm saying, pop, 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 pop. I just keep doing what I want to. Listen, here's what's got to sit on you. God, God's not just forgiven you. He's justified you. He, he has declared you righteous through his son. Don't miss this. I think it's one of the reasons that the resurrection is not celebrated by believers. Because if, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. 
That's what the Bible says, Romans, 1 Corinthians 15, 17. If Christ is not raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. That means you're not justified. But in fact, Christ has been raised. That's a declaration of the scripture. So here's what God is saying in the resurrection. The resurrection is the proclamation of the fact that God is fully and completely satisfied with the work of his son on the cross. Fully and completely. So here's my question for you this morning, this Easter Sunday morning. Will you continue to trust in God's satisfaction with your attempts to do good or will you trust in God's satisfaction in the finished work of Christ alone and be saved from your sins? Here's the incredible weight that sits on me today. You know why the, you know why the Jewish people were able to, to, to deride Jesus and walk away from that morning? That moment is because they didn't understand what the Old Testament had been teaching them that a Messiah was coming who was going to save them from their sins. They misinterpreted the, New, the Old Testament and said they could do certain things to be saved. And don't you think for a moment that that mindset's not alive and well in G Town? We've got enough Baptists and Lutheran and Methodists and whatever else in us to where we think, well, we you know, got a little bit in here. I got a little bit going on. Well, God's happy. At least my good's outweighing my bad. Listen to me, that'll never work for you. God is not and will not be satisfied with that ever. Here's what God is satisfied. He is satisfied with the work of his son on the cross. And he proved his satisfaction through the resurrection of Jesus. So I say to you today, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. The Bible does not say believe in. Now, you must believe in. You must believe that Jesus actually came, that Jesus actually publicly died, that Jesus actually rose from the dead. But you gotta go further than that and believe on him. That means you gotta believe that what he accomplished on the cross was for your sin in your place and that he rose again for your justification, that Christ is the only way to be saved. So I implore you this day, look to Christ and believe. I'm gonna ask the choir to go ahead and make their way here. Now, I'm, I'm gonna speak to you while they're coming. While they're coming here. In, in the chair back around you was, was a response card. People have been using this all day. There are people in here right now who've heard what I've said and you don't know what to do with it. You're going, is this guy right? Is this, is this right? I, I just don't know. This sounds completely different than anything I've ever heard in my life. Is this, is this true? We'd like to continue a conversation with you. And the way we could do that is if you'd use that connect card, give us a way to contact you, tell us you'd like to talk further about what it means to be a Christian or something like that, put it in the offering plate. Or, or after we're over, I'm gonna be out in the connect area and invite you to come and talk with us. Or, you say, well, I'm a, I'm a believer. I'm just struggling. We've been doing this all morning. You just want to come out there and ask me, one of the other pastors, we have ladies out there to just pray for you. We want to invite you to, to respond. Now hear me. I made my way to a vacation Bible school. I'd heard about Jesus my whole life, but it had never been clearly presented to me. And there, 
that morning. The work of Jesus on the cross and the resurrection was explained. And I was wrecked. I remember sitting there thinking for the first time in my, I knew I'd sinned. I knew I was wrong. I remember sitting there thinking for the very first time in my life, Jesus died for me. And there, I, I, was, I was almost 14 years old. I'm sitting with little kids, right? Kindergartners all around me. There with the tears running down my cheeks, I said, Jesus, save me. Save me. And what walked in was a snotty-nosed teenager who knew very little about Christianity. And hear this. Who walked out of that room was a righteous believer. Not because of anything I did, because of what Christ had done. What a beautiful name it is. The name of Jesus. So just as it was to the criminal, I pray that today that Jesus is a beautiful name to you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the simplicity of your word. Thank you that you don't say things and then not explain them. Thank you that you make things clear to us. So as the clarity has come crashing in on men and women and boys and girls in this room, I pray that people will confess their sin and repent of their sin and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And for those who came into this room believing, I pray that their hearts will now soar as we worship you, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, as we say to you, what a beautiful name is the name of Jesus. Thanks for listening to this audio presentation from Parkwood Baptist Church, located in Gastonia, North Carolina. Please feel free to share this message with others. For more information about Parkwood Baptist Church, visit parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org.